Well, wasn't that interesting? Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, November 14th, 2011. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And, uh, well, we got a bracket this afternoon, this evening, uh, out of the NCAA, which uh, is, a, a, I would have to say, the most creative Division Three football bracket I've ever laid my eyes on. It has been a... Uh, it's been a long time coming to the point where Keith uh, publicly on uh, d3football.com on Sunday afternoon, I, I basically wrote a column that said, we give up. We know you're never going to put a two-loss team into the tournament. And ab- about an hour or so later, um, I spoke to a, a coach by phone, and I said, well, basically trying a little bit of reverse psychology this year to see what happens. And, uh, you know, obviously at that point, after by the time we'd written the column, the... Uh, the brackets were already set and the pairings had already been determined, but not at the point last uh, on Saturday night where we were putting our projections together. Things were very still, still very much up in the air, and we elected not to put a two-loss team in the field for the first time in, you know, frankly, a few years. To be honest with you, and uh, you know, here we uh, here we go. We end up with not just St. John Fisher in the bracket, which is a surprise, but I think it's welcome. Maybe uh, Keith will think otherwise, and uh, but also we have this. Uh, masterful, crazy, uh, messy, but interesting playoff bracket in where you have uh, East teams scattered across three of the four separate brackets. You have nine interregional matchups in the first round, and we could have Wesley play Linfield on uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving in the second round. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those years where you know, every year when the bracket comes out, we find a few things that we like. And then, and, and I'm saying we, as in, you know, everybody, all the fans. Um, and then we find a, a bunch of things to gripe about. And this year, it was like the first time where uh, everybody found that their minds were just so blown by this because it's so different than, than what we've all seen in the past. That, um, you know, before anybody could come up with a gripe, we were, we were just trying to digest it all. Again, you know. You mentioned the, you know, Wesley and Linfield being put next to each other in the bracket or, um, you know, some of the other, the you know, first round matchups. Again, we, we've always had this situation where the brackets have been basically north, south, east and west. And uh, at least in football, it's been that way. And, uh, you know, even though they weren't officially named north, south, east and west and you could move one or two teams around, it's th- this year's bracket seems like a complete departure from that philosophy and and that means everybody's mixed up it's a true national tournament and we're going to get to see i think some some exciting first round matchups and and potentially second and third round great great matchups that we wouldn't otherwise see and i think that's a good thing overall because if we end up with a seventh straight uh whitewater mountain union stag bowl which is certainly a possibility um at least we won't be able at least nobody will will, will say well it was an exciting way to get there because it's certainly um you know, this is again nothing like nothing we've ever seen before. And the uh, you know, just to clarify and to kind of answer the question that people have been asking. I mean, so far uh, as of now, there are not seeds on this bracket, uh, and um, we had we have been told that the NCA went back to the old line that they fed us in 2009, which said, "No, there are no seeds, and there never have been seeds," uh, even though that we uh, were able to produce evidence to the contrary. Now, that being said. Uh, we sent a request to the NCAA on Sunday evening for these uh, for the seeds. They have not responded as of yet one way or the other. So uh, the jury is still out. What we do know is what uh, Rowan Athletic Director Joy Solomon, who is the chair of the Division Three Football Championships Advisory Committee, uh, told 
uh, in the huddle, the Liberty League radio show on Sunday night, and that is that the top seeds are, and I believe it is in this order, uh, number one, uh, well, the first number one, Wisconsin-Whitewater, then Mount Union, then Mary Hardin-Baylor, and then Delaware Valley, and those are your four top seeds. Um, you know, Delaware uh, Valley, the top seed at the other end, the number two seed in that bracket is St. Thomas. Uh, there, those are teams that are, I could tell you, about a, a 20 hours drive uh, apart. Salisbury and Wisconsin Whitewater could meet in the national quarterfinals. They're the top two seeds on that side. Mary Hardin-Baylor and Wesley. Okay, not a surprise there. We've heard those names before. Mountain Union and Wabash; those are two teams that are uh, in the uh, both in the North Region and and uh, have uh, have met in the postseason before. Uh, but you know, Keith, there's a there's a couple other interesting things about this bracket. Uh, one, you know, the NCAA voluntarily sprung for the extra flight. Uh, they uh, instead of they they could have gotten away with, and they've tried and they've done it in the past, having just one airplane flight in the first round. Instead, they uh, they uh, they paid for a second flight where they didn't have to. Uh, they have uh, Redlands going to Mary Hardin Baylor, and uh, Cal Lutheran going to Linfield. Uh, instead of having Cal Lutheran and Redlands match up in the first round, uh, they avoid having to uh, either send McMurray on a big long flight to Linfield, which is what I thought would happen, or you know bring someone in to play uh, Mary Hardin Baylor on a second flight, or you know somehow match up the two ASC teams in the in the first round again. You know, Keith, it's not the first time that we haven't had a conference rematch in the first round. That even as recently as last year, we didn't do that. But uh, it, it's the first time that that I can remember that we've had the opportunity. In fact, uh, some would say the requirement to match two teams up again in the first round in order to save money, uh, according to the NCAA bean counters. And yet, uh, the NCAA has allowed for an extra flight so that we didn't have to do it. Yeah, and the way they did it too, Pat, was amazing because. A lot of times they focus on that that first round, and then who who cares whether they fly in the second round? And as we already mentioned, you know, there's potential for for flying all the way back and forth across the country in the in these earlier rounds, uh, or in these following rounds. Now, the, there's there's the situation, or or there's I guess a theme that we had through last year's playoffs, right? Where the part of the deal with with the six at large teams that got in last year were that you know there were there were nine teams for those six spots, and so the way the way the field breaks down shapes the way the bracket is built. In this case, the way the field broke down is that there's six teams on those two D3 islands. There's the one island in the deep south in Texas, and then there's the one island on the west coast. You know, there's only 15 or 20 teams on each of those islands, and the rest of D3 is Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, Northeast. So you, this is the first time where we've had six playoff teams, three from the west coast, three from Texas, made it. So they could have they, they tried to keep all the six together, but they, but they had to fly at least one of them. And Pat, the way you projected it uh, on Saturday night was that, you know, the, uh, they would keep California together, so then there's no flight, and then you keep two of the Texas teams together, so there's no flight, and then you just pay for the one flight for one of the Texas teams to go out to Oregon. And they decided that wasn't necessary. That you'd send Redlands to Mary Harden Baylor, so that's California to Texas. You have two Texas teams play each other, which I think was the right matchup. McMurray at Trinity. Trinity gets the home game uh, and is rewarded for going ten and zero. And then uh, Cal Lutheran at Linfield, I think, was a little bit of a strange matchup because it's the the, the conference champion. Uh, going up to Linfield, it's a rematch. It's going to be, I think, the fifth time these teams have played in the past 24 months or something like that. So uh, that wasn't the perfect matchup. They could have flipped Redlands to Cal Lutheran there. But I think the reason they sent Redlands to Mary Harden Baylor rather than to Linfield is because they were the weaker team between them and Cal Lutheran. And so you send them to play the stronger team. 
in any case, you know, I think with the, with the, with Springer for two flights, with the committees have talked about that. They've talked about finding that additional money and and making that an official change. And uh, it, it just sort of sprung was sprung upon us on on this selection Sunday. And I know you know guys who've been advocating it and advocating against the Texas sub bracket for years, like Ralph Turner, uh, is probably dancing a jig uh, on the message board because not only did the, did the Texas teams avoid having to play that sub bracket necessarily but um you know his alma mater in its last year d3 is in there in mcmurray so we got we got some new faces we have some new matchups in this round and then we have the two flights so a, a lot to be excited about with this bracket and we're not just saying that just to promote it this really is how people are uh, reacting to it uh it is a year in which uh the skyak gets an at-large bid or gets a, a pool c bid for the first time the midwest conference gets a pool c bid for the first time uh in fact you know if in the unlikeliness, perhaps, of unlikely scenarios, you see uh, Illinois College and Monmouth could face each other in Salem uh, in Stag Bowl 39. Admittedly, seems unlikely. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan and North Central, two CCIW teams, could face off in the championship. Two Empire A teams could face off in the national semifinals. That would be a, a Salisbury-St. John Fisher rematch. Um, let's talk about St. John Fisher for a second, too. Uh, you know, we... Uh, we talked about uh, on the on the site on Sunday afternoon about the the history and the the lack thereof of two lost teams getting in over one lost teams to get into the uh, to get an at large bid into the NCAA tournament and uh, St John Fisher had some things had some things going for it but there were certainly other candidates as well. Yeah. I'm not that impressed with the St. John Fisher pick. And I think symbolically, it's nice that you take an eight and two team over a nine and one team. And Pat, I've been a strong advocate of this. And I know you have been since, since the site's pretty much launched, you know, teams that play stronger schedules and have that high strength schedule number should be rewarded. You shouldn't be able to duck playing good teams and then um, get in the playoffs by having a nine and one record versus an eight and two record, just because you didn't play anybody good. And there were a couple of nine and one teams left on the board that didn't get in they had, um, you know, fairly weak schedules, not impressive strength of schedule numbers, no wins over regionally ranked teams, uh, which are all playoff criteria. And, and I think, in that sense, that's a that's a big step forward. But when they open the door to bringing in eight and two teams, um, there's just so many eight and two teams on the board that that were really more impressive, I think, than St. John Fisher. Um, you know, St. John Fisher has a 36 point loss to Hobart and a 20 point lost to Salisbury. And I understand those are two other playoff teams in the field, but, and margin of victory is not part of the criteria, but just not uh, impressive. I think in, in their big games, you know, they, the best team they beat was Alfred, which uh, Alfred was a seven and three team. They beat them 17 to three. They, they had a win over um, Springfield, which finished with six wins. And I think part of that, that high strength of schedule number is just the overall strength of the empire eight and rewarding that is a good thing. But when you look at the list of these eight and two teams that possibly could have made it, uh, St. Olaf, Bethel, Wheaton, Baldwin-Wallace, Montclair State, Cortland State, Heidelberg-Wittenberg. Uh, you know, there's more. There's there's Washington Lee. Right. I think when you, when you start getting down to some of those teams, you know, they didn't have the, the strong the strong um, resume. But some of those other teams really did. The, the issue, and I think this is what you're getting ready to get at, is that that's not how the selection committee works. You don't just take any old eight and two team. You have one team on the board from each region. And uh, it, I'm fairly certain that when they got to the sec the 32nd team, uh, St. John Fisher was the team on the board from the East. And there were um, at least, at least in the North, right? There's a nine and one team on the board that was blocking the way. And then St. John Fisher may have been evaluated against St. Olaf or Bethel, but um, they certainly weren't evalu evaluated against Wheaton or Baldwin Wallace. 
and and I don't know if they were or not. You know, they football talked last year about well, we just threw all the at-large teams on the board at once, and we selected them based on that. And I don't know if you know how much of that is actually true, or if they've changed and gone away from that and gone back to a, a more traditional style, which is how we understand uh, a lot of the other sports are done. Certainly, the ones that we deal with on a regular basis. I would say, Keith, I, I think there's only I think there's only one team that had a similar strong resume to St. John Fisher, uh, and you mentioned it, it's Wheaton. Um, I, I looked at it this way. Um, you mentioned a couple teams that have sub-500 uh, uh, strength of schedules, and uh, I, I don't think there's any chance you, you get that you get in with a, a sub-500 strength of schedule and two regional losses. Um, where Wheaton and St. John Fisher both stand out is uh, they are the two teams that have uh, strength of schedules above uh, above 500, in this case significantly above 500, 566 and 567. Um, and they both, and both of their losses are to regionally ranked teams. Uh, Wheaton's losses uh, at Illinois Wesleyan and at North Central I thought were just as impressive, if not more impressive, than uh, the, the St. John Fisher loss at home to Hobart and at Salisbury. I think one of the things that is um, that goes kind of unnoticed and hasn't been talked about a whole lot is the common opponent, and there are so few because we only play ten games in Division Three, because a lot of conferences are large, so there are not a whole lot of out of conference games, and there's certainly not very many out of conference non-region games. But the uh, the the one criteria that you know, frankly, w I overlooked on Saturday night and didn't give a lot of weight to because I just didn't think there was any chance a two-loss team was going to get in. But it was the common opponent between Case Western Reserve and St. John Fisher, and St. John Fisher not only beat University of Rochester, they beat them handily. Uh, beat them to the point where you know the U of R is basically pulling out of the Courage Bowl after 2012, not wanting to play St. John Fisher anymore, apparently. Uh, and, and that's Case's loss. Case's only loss on the season is to the U of R. So, you know, when you... And, and we've heard this from... Certainly from the basketball committee as well. And, and I, I, I say... I, I, I use basketball references because in the end... Uh, on the NCAA side, the people in Indianapolis cross over. You know, it's not just so. It's a lot of football people on the committee, but the person at the NCAA who is the liaison who does the the handling of all that. Uh, in this case, Holly Sheely is also uh, the women's basketball liaison. So she gets to hear the the uh, the language that the other committees use and, and see how the, how things are done there in a situation where you have. 25 games to work with, uh, and you can you can use more things like common opponents. If you get to the end of the night and you've got something big like a common opponent, and in this case, an 80-point uh, strength of schedule boost between uh, St. John Fisher and Case Western Reserve, I mean that's a that's a no-brainer. It, it's certainly a no-brainer in my mind. I'm just I'm so surprised still that they put a two-loss team in that it wasn't even really something I considered. Now whether that two-loss team should have been St. John Fisher or Wheaton, I could certainly almost go to the coin flip. Uh, you mentioned uh, St. Olaf. Uh, St. Olaf lost to a team that's not regionally ranked, and they did it recently, which doesn't help them. Uh, Baldwin-Wallace, again, they lost to a team that's not regionally ranked. So uh, remember the the uh, the criteria is results against regionally ranked opponents. It's not winning percentage against regionally ranked opponents. So it's it's possible to think that 0-2 is better than 0-1. Or certainly better than O and O, where you were in the case of case where they didn't play anybody who was regionally ranked. Um, but to have a, a loss that is considered in some ways a bad loss, um, 
you know, Bowen Wallace losing to a 500 team in capital, St. Olaf losing to a 6-4 and four team. Uh, those are the things that are not going to help you stand out if you're in a pool and a, a, a pile of similarly recorded teams like these 8-2 and two teams were. Yeah, and, and if you're listening along and we're getting a little too heavy for you, a little too big on the jargon, you know, we can we can break it down and simplify. Remember, 25 teams are, are automatic qualifiers, so they get in with the automatic bid. So those, you know, there are two lost teams. In fact, there's a four-loss team in the field that won its conference, therefore it's in. Uh, you know, there's one bid allotted for, for Pool B teams that aren't in conferences. That bid went to Wesley. And so then you have these six, the last six teams to select. And that's where a lot of the... the uh, debating comes in, a lot of the consternation comes in. I think among those teams this year, there were four no-brainers, right? You had to put Redlands in the field. You had to put Center in, uh, McMurray, and the fourth one, Illinois Wesleyan. I think all those teams, they graded out well on the criteria. Um, you know, they had the one, just the one the one loss in, in each of their cases. McMurray had two losses, but just one against a Division three team. Those four teams were in. And then and then there were two more at-large spots, and, and there were three more one-loss teams in uh, Illinois College, Endicott, Case Western Reserve. And then there were that whole group of, of two-loss teams. And, Pat, you, you explained it about how, uh, about how St. John Fisher could get in over Case Western Reserve. No gripe there. I think it, it makes sense how they got in over Wheaton and Baldwin-Wallace because um, those teams may not have been on the board. And when we say on the board, we mean the committee is, is potentially only discussing four teams at a time, one from each region, and then comparing them to each other. So if Case Western Reserve is, is the team that's on the board from the north, they're not even discussing Wheaton and Baldwin-Wallace. But I, I think, you know, there may be a, a gripe for, for St. Olaf and Bethel, and I don't want to encourage people because there's enough griping as it is. You know, um, and, and, and Wartburg maybe is another team that, that thought it had a chance to be on the board. And, and, and again, all those teams had have no one but themselves to blame. They didn't win the automatic qualifier. They had, uh, you know, St. Olaf's had the, had the late season loss to St. John's. Wartburg had two bizarre losses, you know, to Simpson and Coe. I guess the Coe one's not as bizarre, but the Simpson loss is certainly pretty random. Baldwin Wallace, we mentioned the random loss to, to Capitol early in the season. Um, all those teams with one loss, I think they're in. Uh, automatically they're no brainers so anyway you got the situation where there's six teams four of them are in easy and then the last two are, were really the ones that that we're going to give um people a, a lot of um you know reason to, to debate about a lot to think about and you know we projected endicott and case western reserve in as for you know for the reasons that you mentioned pat we just have learned over the years that they never they they, they look at winning percentage and they never take a, a a two-loss team over a nine-and-one team when there's one available until now. So they went and did that differently. And you know, to be honest, I don't know how you get um, how you get Illinois College rather than Endicott and Case Western Reserve. You know, when you start comparing the nine-and-ones and, and how Illinois College was on the board from from the West, but that stuff, you know, in a sense, it, it's kind of—I don't want to say it's old news because it, it is stuff that people care about, especially if you're from one of the programs that thought you were on the brink of getting in, and, and you didn't. Uh, certainly, I was surprised by Illinois College. Uh, St. John Fisher was a surprise to me. I think the other four Pool C teams, you know, were, were pretty much uh, easy to pick and, and no-brainers. It would have been a shock if any of them were left out, and it's not that big of a shock to see Endicott and Case Western Reserve left out. I don't think it's an outrage by any means to have those two teams, especially given the schedules they played and and, and the losses uh, that they had. You know, it's not an outrage to have those two teams out, but it's just 
a little strange to see to to try to figure out why they why they went with Illinois College and uh, and St. John Fisher. I'll say real quickly about Endicott. Endicott's strength of schedule number is reasonable. It's 523. But if you look at their schedule, they actually don't play a single non-NEFC team. And I think that's, um, you know, on a, on, a, on a numerical level, it's decent. But on a, you know, on a, on a, it doesn't pass the smell test, basically, to, uh, yeah. to pull out a cliche. And you know how I hate to do that. Um, the, the, the Bethel, Olaf, Wartburg uh, combination. Uh, I think Wartburg basically never had a shot. Wartburg lost to Simpson, and St. Olaf and Bethel each beat Simpson. Uh, St. Olaf beat Bethel, so St. Olaf would have to be considered ahead of Bethel. Um, but to be honest with you, uh, Illinois College might have been the last team in the in the playoffs as well, and maybe uh, maybe St. Olaf never got to the board. Um, you know, uh, Olaf. Uh, you know, it. I I would have. I was surprised last week to see that they weren't ranked ahead of Wartburg. Once I went back and dug back through the common opponent again there was huge. Maybe they uh maybe that regional committee corrected that this week because that was I think a mistake last week. Um and, and speaking of mistakes, you know, usually we talk about uh mistakes that the that the committee has made. There are not a whole lot of them in this bracket. There's there's one or two, but not very many. No, there really isn't a whole lot to, to gripe with once you get uh you know you get past the teams that are in. And again, there's no outrageous teams that got left out. I think everybody you know, past the, there was 30 teams that were pretty much in, and then everybody had a shaky case. You know, any of these teams that you pick out that didn't get in from St. Olaf on down, um, they had a reason, you know, they, they had it in their grasp, and, and you can point to the, the game that cost, cost them their bid. So I think we've got a pretty good field here. And, you know, Pat, you mentioned this pretty often. There's any given year, there's two teams that are pretty good bet to go to the Stag Bowl. And then there's another six teams maybe that, that could knock them off. You could, you could see them knocking them off and, and maybe get into Salem or maybe get into a national semifinal. But, you know, for the vast majority of the 32 teams that are in, they're playing for that, that three-week run in the playoffs, to have a little bit of playoff success to build off of, to go back when they go and recruit and say, hey, you know, we, we had a home playoff game this year. We won a couple games in the playoffs. Uh, that's what a lot of teams are playing for because Salem is just not a realistic goal for – eight to 16 of the teams in the playoffs, you know, I, I don't want to tell, I don't want to tell, you know, like a, like a, a Kane or a Illinois Wesleyan that, that um, Salem's not a realistic goal because I think the CCIW and the, and the NJAC conferences like that, their champions should be uh, aiming to get to Salem. And it's certainly possible for any of those teams, but um, really, you know, it, 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 the tournament for a lot of teams is these first couple weeks. And we have these such great matchups, Pat, I think it's probably time for us to just, Go ahead and, and run down the bracket as a whole and, and look at, uh, you know, a few things that stand out. So, Pat, as we're at the top of this list, let's uh, let's go. Let's start right here. Uh, what the committee got right and what the committee blew. Well, what the committee got right is uh, making this as much of a national tournament as possible. I think that's a I think that's a slam dunk and a no brainer. I think, you know, there's not a whole lot that they blew. I think there's one thing that uh, gives me some pause, uh, and it's the, the relative seeding of Hobart versus St. John Fisher. Um, Hobart is positioned in this bracket as if they were a seven seed. Remember, we don't really have seedings in this bracket, but um, you know th this is uh, how it looks. They're, they're playing at the two seed, Wesley. And St. John Fisher is positioned in the bracket as if they were a five seed, playing at what would be a number four seed, and a legitimate, I think, number four seed, Johns Hopkins. And, and that's 
you know, it doesn't sound too outrageous off the top of the uh, off the top of things until you realize that Hobart, frankly, you know, beat St. John Fisher pretty handily. You mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Uh, beat him significantly. Uh, Hobart should be the higher seed, yet they are placed in a uh, a lower spot in the bracket, basically, and they certainly have a tougher first round opponent playing Wesley than than playing Johns Hopkins. Um, the the one thing that I can think of is that, you know. Uh, committees are made up of people, um, and, and people hear things, and, and there's a you know there's a lot of talk that goes on r- around Division Three, and, and I know that there was a lot of discussion about uh, Hobart having only eight games this year and uh, having a, uh, a a common open date with Wesley, and uh, and yet uh, those two teams didn't play each other. It it seems likely to to assume that. Uh, Hobart turned down the possibility to play the game because they ended up scheduling only eight games, and Wesley is known to go anywhere and play anybody. They have to. Um, so I, I just wonder if there's... Uh, sometimes, it seems to me, uh, especially in the larger sports where there are more teams, sometimes uh, first-round pairings are made with a little bit of irony, and I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the Hobart-Wesley matchup was uh, was based on irony as well. Well, there's, there's a... A very strong message too sent from from this field is that you you will be rewarded if you if you take that extra game and you play it. You know, a, a good example of that is Franklin, a uh, team that's nine and one could probably be ten and zero if it scheduled somebody instead of Wisconsin Whitewater. But they took that game, they won their other nine games. They they were rewarded with a home game. Pat, the thing I, I felt like the committee blew. Besides, I wasn't that impressed with them taking St. John Fisher or Illinois College. But then again, there weren't two other great teams that had to get in. Uh, I, I thought Cal Lutheran. It got put in a pretty tough spot uh, as, a, as a team that's a conference champion um, that had played Linfield already during the season and was within seven points of them. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to be, you know, I know our top 25 is not part of the criteria, but it's tough to be the eighth ranked team in the country and get sent in the first round on the road to play the fifth ranked team in the country. Um, that, you know, that's tough for them. But but in the big picture, given that they broke up the California and the Texas teams. I think the committee did a nice job with that. And and why don't we just move right into the next thing that, that you know, what are the group of things that the committee uh, really did right? What did they nail? Well, I think, um, to be honest with you, I think they nailed the the opportunity to, to, to take this tournament to the next level. You know, um, to the, the fan base of probably about uh, 234, 235 schools, uh, the uh, the Division Three playoffs are a little bit stale. We have had the same teams in the championship game for six years in a row. Um, you know, teams such as uh, Wesley and North Central and and uh, and Linfield and the like have been mainstays in the in the later weekends of the tournament for several years, off and on. Um, and there hasn't been a whole lot of new blood. And I think, to be honest with you, I think that there are probably some people out there who think that the uh, Division Three football playoffs are boring. Uh, the way this bracket is set up, I don't think you could say that anymore. Um, You've got uh, just to run down the the games between teams that uh, live in different regions. Uh, Albion at Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, Thomas Moore at Franklin, Christopher Newport at Kane. Um, you know the uh, St. John Fisher at Johns Hopkins. Uh, uh, let's see, Dubuque at North Central, Illinois College at Wabash, Hobart at Wesley. Yeah, you know, those are and uh, and Redlands at Mary Harden Baylor. Those are all games that. You basically don't see in the regular season, and in the you know previous years playoffs, you wouldn't have seen them in the first round as well. Pat, yeah, I thought that I thought they nailed the the overall balance of it, and and I I realize if you if you just print out the bracket off of d3football.com and you look at it and you were to sketch the top twenty five 
ranking next to each team, you would see a lot of the top, the top 15 teams that I think are on the side with Mary Harden, Baylor, Linfield, Wesley, North Central, Wabash, Mount Union, they're all on that side. But I think the bracket is balanced in the sense that each of the four uh, quadrants, we'll just call them, rather than brackets, you know, the eight team groups, uh, each of them has, there's no there's no real easy route to uh, to Salem, and, I, and, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But I think even if you look at a team like St. Thomas, which is a two seed, you know, to have to go on the road potentially to Delaware Valley or to Johns Hopkins, uh, each 10 and 0 teams, and I know uh, East, East Region teams and, and, and teams from the Centennial Conference, don't get a ton of respect nationally, but to have to go on the road, play a team that has had a bunch of success during the season, I don't think that's an easy route. Whitewater to have to try to deal with potentially, um, you know, Salisbury's uh, triple option. You know, you got the Wesley Linfield, Trinity, McMurray, Mary Harden, Baylor, and then the two Skyac teams all in that one bracket. That's crazy. And then on the other side, you know, Mount Union potentially having to, to play North Central or Wabash. You really have, uh, I think, potential tough matchups in the second, third, and fourth round this year. And that that makes for a great tournament, not just a great final game or a great first round. And I would uh, say would you And I would say ahead. and I would say this too. Um, for example, if Mount Union plays North Central in the national quarterfinals, that's one of the toughest quarterfinal games they've had in a while. Uh, probably since they played that uh, game against Capital a few years back. Um, I think if you're a Whitewater fan and you're looking to go, well I don't know I know who Franklin is. I don't know any of these other teams. You know, let me start booking my trip to Salem. Even uh, you know, the other half of the bracket, St. Thomas has never played anybody like us. Delaware Valley's, you know, hadn't had success against the Purple Power. Those sorts of things. I, I would remind people that, you know, in 2005, Wisconsin Whitewater was the unproven team that had to go on the road against the defending national champion, and uh, and win in uh, McMinnville, Oregon in order to uh, get to the national semifinals and, and eventually to the Stag Bowl. So lest you think it can't be done, it can be done, and you've done it. Pat, that's a great point, too, that we could be seeing the dawn of, of a new power this year. You know, you just never know when that's going to happen. Another thing I thought the committee nailed is that there were 10 undefeated teams in the bracket. Um, nine of them are hosting in the first round. So no, nobody got really jobbed out of a home game. Um, you know, Trinity, Texas was one of the ones we thought were maybe would have to go on the road to Mary Harden Baylor. It, it was good of them to, you know, they go 10 and 0, they get to host McMurray. The only undefeated team that has to go on the road is, is, is St. Scholastica, which is a, not only a geographic match with St. Thomas, but I think it's probably where the champion of the UMAC deserves to be, at least in the first season of the automatic bid. The other thing they, they did a nice job of nailing was instead of just saying we have all these East teams and we're going to put Mountain Union as the cherry on top of that bracket and and then you, you, the East people aren't happy with that and then all the other regions aren't happy because Mountain Union has the supposedly easier route. Now you have to at least, Pat, as you mentioned, Mountain Union is going to have to go through North Central or Wabash, somebody like that. Um, you know, potentially one of these high-powered offenses in Hampton, Sydney, or Center, uh, it won't be quite as as easy a route um, to Salem if they are to get back. And uh, that's probably you know the, the the next place we should move on to. Um, who do you think got the easiest first round draw? Well, I think it has to be uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. I, the only thing that surprised me is that the NCA decided to uh, instead of put Albion at Mount Union and uh, and Benedictine at Whitewater which is you know what uh, is is the most makes the most sense economically they decided to have these two teams cross paths uh, and and go much much further I understand that there are not a lot of rewards in being the 31 and the 32 seeds in the bracket I, I get that but uh, 
I just don't see the uh, the necessity for the extra expense. To be honest with you, I think it's a I think it's a wash, which regardless of which purple power you play. So why send Michigan to Southeast Wisconsin and Chicago to Alliance Ohio when the when the shorter trip is much closer? Yeah, I thought I thought the easiest draw um, probably probably Franklin and, and Thomas More each. Uh, got a pretty easy draw because when you're a, when you're a one loss team in, in the in the bracket, to be honest with you, you know you could you could draw uh, you could have to be have to be going on the road to a ten and zero team from a power conference like the CCIW, you know, in the North Region. Now, you know, Franklin could have got sent to to North Central or or got stuck playing hosting Illinois Wesleyan, which would, I think is it would have been a lot tougher draw than playing Thomas More. And you flip that, I think Thomas More probably in the same boat. You know, to, to have to go on the road, you know, they had a kind of a bad loss a couple of weeks ago at the end of their, their conference season. To have to go on the road and go to Franklin is is a whole lot. You know, they could have been sent to, to Mount Union, to be quite honest, that they're, you know, geographically a good match to, to go there. So um, I think Franklin and Thomas More each got good draws. And then I think center uh, did pretty well for themselves to be able to play Hampton Sydney in the first round, to be able to host, to be a runner up and host. Hey, in this tournament, if you have a loss, you're just happy to still be in the tournament to get selected in Pool C to, to for center to not only have the loss and get selected, but to get the home game and then to host a team that, that's coming off a 48-34 loss uh, against its arch rival on Saturday in Hampton Sydney. I think is a pretty good draw for them. I agree. Who, who got the toughest draw at? Well, I would agree. I just want to point out also I, the the SCAC. They're another conference that has uh, an at-large team for the first time and the last time, I guess, for a while anyway. Good point. Good point. Who who got the toughest first round draw? Well, you know, I I think that uh, I think that Hobart probably qualifies on that list. That's a that's a team that was uh, you know, at least in a in a reasonable spot in the regional rankings not too long ago before they uh, before they uh, they lost to uh, RPI. I think also uh, you you talked about the Cal Lutheran Linfield game. Uh, both of those teams can qualify as getting a tough draw, but I think especially for for Cal Lutheran who has to go back on the road and play them. Yeah, Pat Hobart was mine too. You know, you go seven and one, you win all, all your games but one, and uh, and and have to go to Wesley. You know, potentially, you know, for the last several years, maybe the third best team in the country. You draw that in the first round, then uh, could be a short stay in the playoffs for Hobart. And and even if they were to get past Wesley, you know, the next round you play the Linfield Cal Lutheran winner. The next round after that is is you know the winner of the Texas Redlands bracket. So uh, nothing easy about the the path Hobart has. Uh, any other teams that have a tougher path to Salem than Hobart? Well, I mean, there there are certainly teams that have a, a difficult path because they're they're really low seeds. I mean, I mean, obviously Saint Scholastica has a really tough uh, road to Salem. They have a tough road to Bloomington, Illinois, uh, at that point. To be honest with you, to try to get past Saint Thomas. So I think there are. If you want to talk about teams that um, you would call legitimate contenders, I think. Uh, Wabash has a has a pretty tough road. They presumably would have to play North Central in the second round if uh, if the home seeds hold, and then they have to play Mount Union. Those are two teams that are uh, in the top uh, with the top seven, right? And, and uh, certainly, if uh, if North Central hadn't stubbed its toe early in the season, we'd be talking about those two teams being two of the top three or four in the country. Pat, you and I are looking at the same part of the bracket. I, I went with North Central just because they, they have Dubuque in the first round, and, and North Central has this pretty great defense. Dubuque has this pretty great offense. So you got this first-round matchup between those two teams, and if North Central is to survive that, 
the potential road that, that they have to get to Salem. And again, we're just talking about teams that we could legitimately see getting to Salem. North Central would have to beat Dubuque, potentially Wabash, Mount Union, the winner of the Mary Harden Baylor Wesley Linfield bracket. Yeah. And then coming out of the other side, after you get done with all that, you, you have to, you know, beat Whitewater to win it all, potentially. So that's a pretty tough road to Salem. But you know, North Central is one of those teams that could be up to the task. That's the toughest path to Salem. What about the longest road? Um, you know, when you look at this bracket, who do you think may have to crisscross the country a couple times just to end up in Virginia? Well, uh, Linfield comes to mind. Uh, they do have the first round home game, so that cuts down on their travel a little bit. Um, but if they win, I believe the seeding suggests they have to go to Wesley. That's certainly the way the uh, the bracket is shaped. Uh, and then they, uh, if if Mary Harden Baylor wins the top half of the bracket, then they have to go down to Texas and then uh, get back on a plane and go presumably to Mount Union for the national semifinals. Uh, to be honest with you, if I'm looking, if I'm Linfield, uh, you know, of those teams I just named, uh, there's only one team that they've ever played before, and that's uh, Mary Harden Baylor uh, in the Stag Bowl, and then at their place in a, a second round game a couple years ago. That's a chance to get out and uh, and and prove yourself against uh, some good teams in the country uh, obviously some teams that have made names for themselves as well over the past uh, decade or obviously longer in the in the case of Mount Union as well yeah again you and I Pat looking at the same similar part of the bracket I feel like Cal Lutheran you know to have to go up to Oregon in the first round and then potentially to have to go to Delaware Texas Ohio and then Virginia for their four uh, their five trips you know it's always going to be a tough trip from uh, from Sky Act Country to wherever you have to go in the playoffs, but that one, you know, throwing the Wesley trip in there and potentially a trip to Mayhard and Baylor would be uh, quite a road to Salem. But who, who do you think? Um, did anybody get that that's on the road? Did anybody uh, among those road teams in the first round deserve a home game? Well, um, you, I don't know. You know, maybe maybe Dubuque, not necessarily. Uh, they might have a fairly decent claim. But to be honest with you, uh, I think we're in a situation where the 16 home teams, as you mentioned, uh, uh, are the right ones. Uh, Cal Lutheran also is a is a possibility here. Uh, you know, for weeks and weeks, we thought that they would get a first round home game, and they're certainly one of the best teams in the country and deserve a home game. Uh, there's not very many other choices, though. No, I'm right there with you. I thought Cal Lutheran was the only one that potentially fit in this spot, and this is one of those times we had to give the uh, the selection committee thumbs up for doing a nice job getting the the, the right 16 teams to play at home. Um, any any uh, home teams least deserving of a game? That's another good question. See, that's the thing. Yeah. I think that uh, I, I think that you know, obviously, Linfield is very much deserving of a of a first round home game. I suppose perhaps Center is the the one team that might qualify. Um, you know, as you mentioned, um, they don't have a, uh, they're not a conference champion. Uh, they're not, they're not in the top half of their regional ranking, most likely. I don't think, you know, obviously we didn't get to see the final one that center would be in the ballpark, but maybe not necessarily. Uh, in our top 25 poll, they are number 25. That's probably the, uh, I'm sure at a glance here, that's the lowest ranked team that has a home game uh, in when you take the rankings from our poll, yeah. Yeah, that, and that was my my home team, probably least deserving of, of a game. You know, centers just fortunate to be in the field to be able to play at home. I, I think because they got they got a pretty good deal. Frankly, I thought Hampton Sydney got a good deal out of it too. Although you mentioned that earlier. Well, yeah, and and that that plays in to right where I was going next because you know a lot of years we see Pat in week eleven all this I like to call it carnage. You know, 
so many crazy results in the final Saturday that, you know, some teams play their way in, some teams play their way out of the tournament. And we didn't really see that on, on this Saturday. Was there anybody, maybe if you want to extend it back to week 10, that you thought played their way into the tournament the last couple weeks of the season and, and who played their way out? Well, I think St. Olaf certainly played their way out. I, I'm, I know you uh, cited that on the on Twitter the, uh, last night, but that's they're, they're a team that, you know, as much as anybody had some control over their own dest uh, over their own destiny. They'd beaten a regionally ranked team. Their only loss was to an un unbeaten team at the top of their conference, who was really near the top of the uh, of the regional rankings. Um, you know, obviously, you know we all know that winning at St. John's is not always an easy thing to do. Um, I predicted it in triple take for that very reason, basically that uh, that St. Olaf would be the team to to get upset that weekend. But uh, it, they're they had a shot uh, up until basically then, and they would have needed a lot of a lot more help to get into the field after that. Yeah, I, I think St. Olaf was in until that loss, and and you know as an eight and two team, uh, you know it turns out they didn't stack up. I thought the other team that that potentially played its way out in the last two weeks was Louisiana College. They they went into the game at McMurray, uh, just having the one loss against Mary Harden Baylor. They lost to McMurray, and then they they finished the season with a loss to Harden Simmons. And, and who knew that, you know, they might have still been on the board as a two-loss team uh, had they not lost to Harden-Simmons. So potentially they played the, their way out in Week 11. And, and I thought the other team that hurt itself a little bit was Hampton-Sydney. Um, potentially had a chance to play a home game uh, if, if they'd beaten Randolph-Macon. And instead, you know, they're still in the field by virtue of the automatic qualifier. And they get a matchup, I think, in the first round. They could win. They could go to center and win. Um, you know, Hampton-Sydney beat WNL and center beat WNL. Uh, early in the season, and those results were, you know, comparable. Um, I think it was maybe 10 points Hampton Sydney and seven points center. So it could be a pretty good first round game as far as as far as tight games go. But if you play yourself into the four team pod that has Mount Union in it, that's that's tough break. And Hampton Sydney played its way into that group in, in week 11. I would say that Redlands is a team that obviously narrowly avoided playing its way out. Um, two uh, twice. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, they were a yard away from. Being uh, down at a first and goal situation in the closing seconds to Chapman on Saturday night. Uh, last year they went eight and one and didn't get into the playoffs. But uh, the year before that, 2009, they lost in week 11 to pick up a second loss and and play themselves out. Uh, the year before that, 2008, they also picked up their second loss in week 11 and, and played themselves out. And they very nearly did it again on Saturday. Yeah, and and you know this is could really this is a seminal year actually in the Redlands program if you think about it so many years you know it's about time they got a break they they've had one loss years and been left out of the tournament before and there's really only one year i can i can think of before in Redlands history where they got to go on the road and play against one of the great D3 pro programs they went to St. John's and and didn't fare so well in the first round of the playoffs but that's when St. John's was was one of the dominant programs this year you know they host North Central which has become one of the dominant programs over the past 5 years in D3 uh, win that game in week one, and now they have a chance to go prove themselves in Texas uh, at Mary Harden Baylor in the first round. So you know whatever happens, it's it's going to be one of those years for Redlands. You know just to have the playoff bid and to have a chance to play two of the other great teams in D three. Uh, it, it'll be a, a a seminal year, I think, in that program, and that could be one of the great first round games. You know you never know. Any other games that stand out to you in the first round as as potentially the best game in, in of the sixteen on Saturday? Um, you know, uh, the, I want to mention before we go into games that are actually scheduled, um, I really was looking forward to a potential Dubuque-Monmouth game because you, you know that uh, triple overtime game that they had in uh, NAIA last night? Uh, Union-Kentucky against 
I would be throwing a name out there and getting it wrong. Um, and I'm sure somebody else out there, will, of course, I think it was 95 to 89 or something like that was the final. Uh, utterly ridiculous, uh, even basketball yeah, game. Yeah, it may, it may have been Kentucky Wesleyan, but it was uh, 75 all at the end of regulation. That was the crazy thing about it. And, uh, Pat, you, you know, you hit on, I think the best first-round game involves Dubuque, and I think it's that, that Dubuque at North Central game. We've seen North Central explode for 70 80 points a couple times this season, probably not against teams the quality of Dubuque. And we've seen Dubuque move the ball up and down the field pretty much whenever it wants against all the teams uh, in Iowa. So North Central's defense is going to have its hands full this week. And at the same time, Dubuque's defense is going to have its hands full. I think that's, you know, besides uh, maybe Linfield Cal Lutheran, which is a rematch of a seven point game from early in the season. I think that's your your number one game this this first week. There should be other there's other games around the bracket that may be close games, you know, but that's the one that has the most star power in it. Just just for the record, since I know we have a lot of NAIA fans listening, it was uh, uh it was Faulkner defeating Union of Kentucky ninety five to eighty nine in triple overtime. Uh that that's the I, I think the um it um it, I like I, I agree. I, I like games that feature a lot of firepower. I think that um you know the, the. I think we have a in the in that Dubuque North Central game that you mentioned. I think we have this kind of uh, immovable object. Um, I forgot the other half of that cliche. That yeah, but, awesome. I know, but I know what you're trying to say, though. I know the, exactly the great defense. The great defense against the great offense. Uh, similarly, I think the the Monmouth Illinois Wesleyan game. Yep. Monmouth great on offense. Illinois Wesleyan strong on defense. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I, I think it's interesting to see what McMurray's uh, high-powered offense does against Trinity. I, I think I probably, um, I, I think my top 25 ballot might agree or it might not, but I might actually uh, favor McMurray in that game at Trinity, just because Trinity hasn't been uh, playing, uh, hasn't been at least dominant of late from the from the looks of it. Uh, and to be honest with you, I almost have no idea what to make of this game, but that's one of our categories coming up later, isn't it? Uh, actually, we really pretty much just 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 hit the end of the line here. You know, when we we do these these categories in writing, the last one we would put is the uh, you know the thirty third team, which we sort of talked about the teams already that that just missed getting in, and then the old uh, sorry for the false hopes award, which we have to give to Endicott in Case Western Reserve this year because uh, the uh, Saturday night projections that you and Gordon have done for ten, I guess ten years now, uh, or maybe even all twelve years that, that we've had the site. Yeah. Third seed. So, so look at that. You know, there's this goes back to the 28 teams now, and um, you guys had, had hit 28 out of 28 for several years. Uh, you hit 30, 31 out of 32, 32 out of 32, and then last year, um, you know, it was such a big potential field. You know, got 30 of 32, and then this year got 30 of them right. And and the only you know drawback to having those projections done, and, and you do a wonderful job with it is that two teams see their names on those projections and they get real excited. They say, boy, it's Pat's right. We're in this thing. And then there are, you know, obviously two other teams that, that were on the other side of that saying, man, I hope they're wrong. I hope they're wrong. And so uh, as you remarked on the, on the site today, you've never been happier to, uh, to, to have a, a wrong projection because this really does. Um, this is probably one of the great moments in over the past several seasons, you know, the, the releasing of this bracket today just put so much excitement out there because of the way they, they shook things up. It's almost a shame that this was the first one since 2002 that wasn't released on national television. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a really great point. You know, the, the excitement for us was, was, was tweeting at that moment and, and watching the, 
broadcast and then you know everybody going back to d3football.com and 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 asking the questions on the blog and all that and and we'll be doing that you know obviously monday yeah Tuesday, and, that's, and, and then, that still happens yeah yeah you know it, it, it will go on you know right up until the game and, and we'll have all kinds of features pad you'll probably want to run them down here in a minute all the different things we do on the site during this week because it's not the same as as a regular season week on the site where we have that rhythm to the week, you know, you got to use certain things on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, it's a little bit different during playoff week, but there's 16 matchups. They all kick off at noon local time. And um, this year, more than really any other year, we didn't have that selection show, but we do had, we did end up with, with a bracket really uh, worth spending a week talking about. Absolutely. And some of the ways that we will do that, over the course of this week, uh, we'll have uh, the return of the uh, d3football.com bracket challenge. Uh, hopefully that'll be up by Monday afternoon, but if not uh, early on Tuesday, uh, you can enter up until I think about 11.55 in the morning on Saturday, so you'll have plenty of time to get your picks in and, and challenge yourself against your neighbors and against the uh, gurus and against everybody else, including uh, the committee, I guess. We can plug their... Uh, their uh their uh, their picks in and see exactly what the chalk looks like um team capsules these are is something that i think we have done every year since 1999 uh we uh break down all 32 teams we tell you uh what their chances are of going how deep in the field they could possibly go uh what their strengths and weaknesses are give you uh you know some background on them and, and that sort of thing those will probably be on the site i hate to commit to a day those are uh, kind of labor-intensive for us. I would say Tuesday, hopefully, will be a, a day we can have those up there, if not uh, certainly by Wednesday. We'll have plenty of feature stories. I hope to have an Around the South column this week. I know we keep getting uh, keep getting emails about that. There is a long story behind it. Uh, Jason Bowen obviously still, does, uh, <laughs> still exists, and he still does work for us. We uh, tasked him to do that story about uh, uh, Chip Knapp and his son when the Wesley traveled to uh, to Ohio a few weeks ago, and then things have kind of snowballed uh, since then. But, uh, yeah, we hope to have him back, and uh, we'll have, obviously, lots of other feature stories. And uh, we will have the uh, annual uh, upsets, uh, disappointments, and champions predictions column in Around the Nation this week. And I'm looking forward to, you know, really digging into this bracket, Pat. Uh, we dug into it over the past hour or so, but there's there's a lot more there. Again, when those uh, when those capsules come out and you start to learn about the different offenses that certain teams run, um, you know, I, Thomas Moore comes to mind, Salisbury comes to mind, the, the, the passing attack of Hampton-Sydney. You know, we have in, in, in Dubuque, we have guys that may get NFL attention down the line uh, and, and then. And the defensive teams, you know, there's the Trinity, the Illinois Wesleyan, um, you know, and the ones that we mentioned earlier, North Central and uh, St. Thomas, I think, is another team that's really you know built on defense. So you'll, you'll get to know what makes these teams go. You know, if you're not familiar with them, those capsules tell you, you know, the team's playing well if and, and that's a real good thing to have when you, when you get to see a team for the first time that you haven't seen. So stick with us this week. Stick with us really all the way through the Stag Bowl Friday night kickoff this year. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and, and no guarantee. There's no guarantee that it's going to be another Whitewater Mountain Union game. They're on the opposite sides of the bracket. Uh, the committee nailed that. So that's still possible. But there are uh, 30 other teams angling to get a part of that and, and probably a good, 
you know, half dozen or so that really have a shot at, at getting to Salem. Yeah, just picture some of these games that could happen, for example, in the national semifinals on the, the right-hand side of this bracket, or if you downloaded an NCAA version, the bottom two halves, the bottom two quarters of the bracket. Um, you think about a game between, uh, you know, Mary Harden Baylor and Mount Union. I seem to remember uh, a pretty good game like that once upon a time. Uh, Linfield and Mount Union have never faced. In fact, uh, the Nor Northwest Conference has never uh, faced Mount Union in the playoffs since coming over to Division Three. That's a matchup that uh, I, I keep looking forward to and hoping will uh, will materialize someday. Um, you know, North Central is uh, a you know a team that could come out of this bracket, and, and if they don't, at least uh, a potential North Central Mount Union game in the national quarterfinals would be good. And if that doesn't happen. Uh, a Wabash Mount Union game in the national quarterfinals. Obviously, those are two programs that are uh, pretty well connected uh, in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, that's just um, that's just one side of the bracket. On the other side, um, you know, picture the uh, Wisconsin Whitewater Salisbury game, just because that's a that's an intriguing matchup that could potentially happen. Um, you know, St. Thomas against Delaware Valley. If that game is in, in Pennsylvania, think about uh, just kind of the the dichotomy of those two teams facing each other, and then whether Delaware Valley gets to play Whitewater or St. Thomas gets to play Whitewater or Salisbury or DelVal Salisbury or Illinois Wesleyan coming out of that bracket, there are a uh, there are a lot of interesting things that could happen between now and Salem, and I think that um, a lot of those teams that we've mentioned are teams that could give Whitewater and Mount Union a run for their money at the very least. Yeah, and that, that's the fun of it. You know, the Pat, the last thing I'll mention is, is again, you talked about potential semifinals. If the top, if our top 25 holds up, top four teams in the country are Whitewater, St. Thomas, Mary Harden, Baylor, and Mount Union, and they're each in different eight-team brackets. I'll, I'll call them brackets, that's quadrants, whatever, whatever we want to call them. Um, and, you know, Linfield at, at number five, North Central at number six. You know, those teams are all spread out really well. And, and then you know, so so we could have one, two, three, four as our four semifinalists. And, uh, you know, you could get a surprise somewhere. You, you get a team like McMurray with a second chance at Mary Harden-Baylor in the second round. Or there's, there's so many potential great games here, Pat. You mentioned most of them, so I won't go through them all again. But uh, really looking forward to this one. Yeah, at the very least, we have a bracket where – Nowhere in this bracket does the number one seed play the number two seed or the number three seed or anything like that in the first round. Um, we have the potential for some pretty great games down the line, and we're not uh, and we're not seeing them all in the first round. Um, remember, two with the national semifinals, they're at least going to be on television in terms of syndication from ESPN. We don't know until the week of the game what that means. They could be uh, sold off to local stations and played that way. They should be. They're supposed to be available on, on ESPN3. So for those of you who have access to that uh, service online, that'll be a great way to watch the national semifinals. There's a potential that they won't be played both at the same time, which would be incredibly nice as well, that we don't have to try to flip back and forth between two screens and, and watch two games simultaneously when we get down to that point in the season. And also remember, it is, uh, it is, it is awards time. In Division Three football, um, you know, nominations for the Gillardi Trophy, which is uh, essentially the top student athlete in Division Three, uh, are uh, are due pretty soon. Uh, we will start accepting nominations for the D3Football.com All-Region Team, which then feeds into All-American nominations. That process starts Monday night. Schools uh, will be contacted between now and then, with a reminder as to how to do that. Although everybody has gotten some information about that just recently over the past uh, six weeks or so.
Um, and we'll announce our All-Americans in the pregame show at Salem, which will be uh, during the afternoon instead of at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning. That'll be great. And, uh, well, you know, uh, my wife said it to me uh, this uh, this afternoon on the on the way home from church. It's like, uh, you know, there's still a third of the season left. There's uh, It's a 16-week season. There's five weeks left to go. There are 31 games remaining uh, to determine a Division Three national champion. And uh, we're going to cover the heck out of them here at D3Football.com. Yeah, and, and we wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, we love playoffs and, and this five-week run. You ask the teams that get to Salem, you know, did they did they enjoy it, the traveling, and they get in to play teams they never played before. Uh, they tell, they'll tell you it's one of the highlights of their lives. Well, that's the Around the Nation podcast, and I can't believe it. We got this done in under an hour. Because probably because we had such a great bracket and we didn't have to spend a whole lot of time debating about the teams that uh, should have gotten in but didn't. So uh, I, once again, kudos to Joy Solomon and uh, Holly Sheely at the NCA office and the other seven members of the uh, Division Three Football National Committee. Uh, this bracket meets with our approval. Uh, I know that isn't <laughs> necessarily uh, the standard that everybody wants to to uh, is, is striving for, but. Uh, it, I think it's going to be a, a great playoff. So for Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman, and that's your Around the Nation podcast.